0: So good to see you today. Glad you're worshiping with us. Welcome. I know that some of our folks are out of town. If you're joining us online, welcome to you. It's a holiday weekend. We didn't get to go anywhere, all of us here, so uh, we're here worshiping together. But uh, obviously, tomorrow, uh, we honor, recognize the life and legacy of Dr. King and what uh, his life taught us, what it did for our country, what it did for the world, and so we'll pause to do that. Uh, tomorrow, but I'm so glad you're worshiping with us. Thank you to those who prayed yesterday, came out. If you didn't get a chance, come this coming su- uh, Saturday at 8.30. Uh, we prayed for you. We, we prayed for everybody that was going to be here today. We prayed around the room, and uh, so thank you to those who came and were a part of that. As Zach said, there are 21 Days of Prayer cards in the seat pocket in front of you. Please uh, fill that card out. At the end of our service today, uh, there'll be a song of commitment, and we invite you to come and add your prayer requests to the ones that are already here. Or or maybe you want to come pray for some of these uh, during that song at the end of our service. You are welcome uh, to do that. Uh, We are in this series called, uh, What Do You Want?, which is an intriguing question. The interesting thing about uh, language is the same words, the same phrase... Can, can have two different meanings depending on how you ask it. The tone, the attitude, maybe the environment in which you ask it. For, for example, when somebody says, what do you want for Christmas? Or what do you want for your birthday? Right? There's this hopeful, excited attitude that goes with that question. Zach is correct. I had a birthday this week. Thank you very much. Uh, math is a little off. I was 31. Um, I, I know... I I don't look 31, but uh, yeah, had a birthday. When somebody says, what do you want for your birthday? There is that sense of, hey, we want to celebrate you, want to recognize you. That's a very excited way to ask that question. Or when somebody asks a young adult, like 18, 19, 20-year-old, What do you want to major in, right? They intend that to be very hopeful, very excited. What do you want to do with your life, right? That's a very hopeful, excited way to ask the question. Now, if you're 18 or 19 or 20 and you have been asked that 200 times and you still don't have a good answer for it, it's not very hopeful to you, right? You hear that question and think, don't ever ask me that again. Like, I'm so tired, of that question. What do you want to do with your life? And let's be honest, it's not just 18, 19, 20-year-olds. Do any of us know what we want to do with our lives? Like 80-year-olds, like do you know what you want to do? With your, if you know what you want to do, with your, please see me afterwards. I, I would love to meet somebody who knows what they want to do with their life. Yeah, that's one of those questions that can kind of cut both ways. What do you want? It changes depending on how you Ask it. Hopeful, excited, leave me alone, stop asking me that. Or the way Ryan Gosling asked it in the notebook. Watch this. Stop thinking about what I want, what he wants, what your parents want. What do you want? What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? Yeah, what do you want, Allie? Come on, get it together. What do you want? There's a lot of ways to ask the question. There is the sarcastic, belittling way to ask the question as in, what do you want, right? Like, I'm so over this. Would you please stop? Or just the totally frustrated, what do you want? Like, every parent has said that in the grocery store before with their little kids, haven't they? Don't deny it. We've all used that, what do you want, with our little kids. Or somebody's called you over and over while you're trying to get work done, And finally, you answer the phone, and you don't say, hello. You say, what do you want? There's all kind of ways to ask this question. And depending on the way you ask the question, that depends on kind of what you mean by the question. Jesus asked this question, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? That was the full question. We looked at it last week. Mark chapter 10, he asked the question one time to a blind beggar. That's what we studied last week. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind beggar said, I want to see. And Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And he was healed. He, he could see. And the wonderful thing about that moment is when Jesus answered that what do you want question, it opened up more what do you want possibilities. Like, there were what-do-you-want questions the blind beggar had never been able to answer because he was blind, because he begged all of the time. But when Jesus said yes to that one request, then there were all these other what-do-you-want questions that, that he could ask and that he could answer. That's the, the great thing about prayer. Like when we're engaged in prayer, when we're engaged in prayer consistently, What happens is an answer to one prayer then leads to another prayer and it leads to another prayer and more possibilities and more seeing God at work. It was a wonderful moment in the life of that blind beggar. But interestingly, in Mark 10, the story that comes right before the blind beggar story, Jesus asked the same question, the exact same question, but it's a totally different context. After the service last week, As I predicted, several people came up to me in the hallway and said, Yes, I get it. We can tell Jesus whatever we want, but how do we know we're asking for the right thing? Several people in different ways said, How do I know if I should be praying this prayer? You see, there's a part of us that knows God invites us to ask. He invites our requests, like we talked about last Sunday. But then there's that other part of us that knows, well, God's not a genie, right? You're not, we're not rubbing his lamp and getting three wishes. He's not handing out lottery numbers. He's not our personal ATM, and we just punch in our code, and he spits out prizes. We know that we can ask God for anything, and yet we also know that God just doesn't automatically grant all our wishes. Like, ha. How do we combine those two? Where do those two ideas meet? God's not a Santa Claus, right? As much as maybe we wish that he were. God's not Jim Carrey and Bruce Almighty. Remember that old old movie? Jim Carrey's getting all the prayer requests coming through on his email. And so finally, at one point, he hit select all and answered everything yes. And that didn't work out real well for Jim Carrey, but... We know that God doesn't select all and answer yes. We don't know why sometimes he doesn't answer yes to every prayer. We just know that he doesn't answer yes all of the time. How do these two ideas meet? Mark chapter 10 is the second book of the New Testament. It's one of the four Gospels. The Gospels are just the story of Jesus. They're the stories of Jesus' life told from four different authors who had four unique perspectives on the life of Jesus. And Mark tells his story through the shortest of the Gospels. A lot of people think this was the first Gospel uh, that was ever mentioned. And in this story, John chapter 10, we're going to begin in verse 35. Jesus asks the same question, but it's not to a blind beggar. It's to two of his disciples. This is how the story starts. Chapter 10, verse 35. Then, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said... We want you to do for us whatever we ask. Right? The, verse 35 begins with the word then, which implies something had just happened, and we're segueing out of whatever just happened. If you kind of glance back up, Jesus had just told his disciples again that he was going to die. He was going to be betrayed. He was going to be beaten he was going to be handed over to the religious leaders. He would be tried and condemned and, and would be executed, and he was going to die. As a matter of fact, they're on their way to Jerusalem, as he's talking about, for the last time. This is the last time they're going to go to Jerusalem with Jesus before his crucifixion, and when they get there is when all of this is going to unfold. Mark chapter 11, if you just kind of glance over one chapter, that's Palm Sunday. Like We are on the doorstep of Easter, Holy Week, Jesus being crucified. And so he's telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be beaten, they're going to arrest me, they're going to take me away, I am going to die. Then, right after that conversation, James and John say, teacher, will you do for us whatever we ask? Which every time I read that, it reminds me of my kids when they were like five. Because that's what five-year-olds say. Just say yes. Whatever we ask you, will you promise us that you're going to say yes? That's what James and John sound like. Here's Jesus' reply. What do you want me to do for you? Same question. "What, what What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. And we all see the problem, right? Hopefully we don't go around measuring people's prayers, saying, well, that's a good one and that's a bad one. But it's pretty obvious this is a bad one, right? This is not something you ask for. It's obvious that what they're asking for is prestige, power, position. They want to be exalted. They want to be recognized. Hey, look at me. Jesus, give us the best seats, And it's not just that they wanted the best seats. They wanted to make sure the other disciples didn't get better seats. The other disciples aren't around. We find this out later. They've pulled Jesus to the side and said, Hey, can we be better than everybody else? Can we have a better seat than all of the other guys? Can we have more power? Can we have more prestige? Can we be recognized more than everybody else? And we immediately recognize how immature, how selfish, how prideful this request is, especially in light of the fact that Jesus had just told them, guys, I'm about to give my life away. I I am about to demonstrate what appeared to be weakness and brokenness and rejection. I'm about to die for all of you. Then James and John say, yeah, but can we get the best seat? Can we have the most power? Can we be the most recognized out of everybody else? And and let's remember, these, these aren't some random guys that just showed up and asked this question. They're James and John of Peter, James, and John. We we call them the inner three because they were the closest to Jesus. They saw things and heard things and went places that the other disciples didn't get to go. They were the closest relationally to Jesus, and they're asking for more power. We roll our eyes at their request. We think this is so immature. Immature. But here's part of what their story tells us. With an extreme example, we're all capable of asking for the wrong things. We're all capable. No matter how spiritual you are, how long you've been a follower of Christ, we are all capable of asking for selfish requests, self-centered requests, self-preserving request request to be better than to be seen as more than to be recognized more than James and John they have this going on you, you'll remember this is not the first time the disciples have argued about who's the greatest this was an ongoing undercurrent among the disciples who's the best who's the greatest who's going to be first who's going to be top it was just in them and friends it's just in us What we recognize so clearly in James and John is in us. We have that same sense of self-preservation and asking for self. Now, what was fascinating to me about restudying this particular story this week is the way Jesus responded. If I could just admit something to you. When I read stories in the Bible that I've read before, especially if I read them over and over again, I will often attach an attitude, a tone, a climate to that story, and then every time I read it, I just automatically go right back to that tone. And I had attached a tone to this story. In my mind, Jesus was frustrated by this question, perhaps even angry by this question he had just told them I am about to die hey Jesus can we have the good seats I had always assumed projected onto Jesus a sense of frustration that two of his closest disciples would ask that question in that moment and there's a very simple reason why I projected that onto Jesus because that's how I would have responded I would have been mad I would have been frustrated I would have been ticked off that somebody supposedly close to me would ask that question at this moment in my life. I was frustrated for Jesus, not that he needed me to be, but I was mad on behalf of Jesus. But as I read this story, as I, as I read how other people saw this story, I realized Jesus wasn't frustrated at all. He doesn't respond in anger at all. James and John say, Let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. And then Jesus says, You don't know what you're asking. You don't understand. You, you don't know all that goes into the answer to that question. You, you don't know. <laughs> Jesus knew that they didn't know. Jesus understood that they didn't understand. Jesus got it, right? He realized, there's no need for me to belittle them. I don't have to be sarcastic towards them. I don't have to be angry towards them. This request comes down to one thing. They just don't know. They don't know yet. They don't see what I see. They They don't have the perspective that I have. It's not their fault. They just don't see it yet. The, their eyes don't realize what's about to happen. Like, they, they don't understand where we're going. They just don't know. Guys, you don't, you don't know. You don't know what you're asking. He, go, he goes on to say, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Jesus was about to be fully submerged in suffering. In brokenness, not just a little bit, not a sprinkle. He was going to be submerged in suffering and giving his life away. And James and John say, Yep, we can do that. We can do that. Like if we doubted whether they knew, it's obvious they don't know at this point, right? You you don't know what you're saying. We can, yeah, we can we can handle that. Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. In other words, Jesus was saying, you're going to have your share of suffering in your life. That's true. You're going to have your share of hurt and brokenness. You don't know what it means to say that you can do that, but you're going to experience some of that in your life. And then Jesus says, But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been Prepared. Here, here's the problem for James and John. It's the same problem that you and I have. We have limited understanding and limited perspective. We just do. We have, we have limited understanding of what's in front of us. We have limited understanding of what God is doing. We have limited understanding and perspective of how this is going to play out. We are limited. We don't see it all. We don't know it all. We don't understand at all. And and let's let's be fair. James and John's prayer is an extreme prayer of selfishness and pride, isn't it? And and, and I think it's pretty easy for us to say, well, I, I don't pray that kind of prayer. And maybe you don't. Maybe your prayer doesn't exactly align with their prayer. But most of us have prayed prayers that honestly we would say were really good prayers. We were praying for people we really cared about and loved. We were praying for healing for that person or protection for that person. We were praying that this person would come back home. We were praying that God would rescue this person out of the addiction that they were in or the situation that they were in. We were praying really good prayers, not prideful, arrogant prayers. Even in the really good prayers, you and I don't see everything. You and I don't understand everything. Our perspective is limited. We are finite in our ability to see all of the details of any situation that we're praying about. We read James and John and they, gives us, they give us this one small misguided perspective, but the reality is we all live with limited perspectives on what God's doing, how He's acting, and how He's going to respond to our prayers. As a result of that, if we can accept that, if we can be okay with, I don't know everything, I don't always know what I'm asking, then we need to run our prayer life through some a couple of filters. Right? Here, here's one, and it's just the filter of sincerity. The filter of sincerity, and by sincerity, I'm talking about motive. i just being real honest, where is this coming from? When Jesus says, what do you want me to do? And I respond as I pray that over and over, just being really honest, what is my motivation here? Where do I fit into this prayer? What's my agenda with this? Just the filter of sincerity. Next, we need to run the filter of humility. And that's that, that filter that just reminds us in our prayer lives, I don't know everything. I'm not in charge of everything. I don't get to decide everything. The Bible absolutely tells us to pray boldly, I had to come before God's throne boldly with our request. The Bible tells us Jesus is praying with us. The Holy Spirit is praying along with us. There is a boldness that we can come to God with in our prayer life, but equally there is a humility that we need. That God, I'm going to pray boldly, but I'm I'm also going to understand that I don't fully understand. I'm going to know that I don't always know. When, When Jesus responds to James and John and he says, look, those positions aren't mine to give away. He's essentially saying to them, look guys, this is not how it works. You don't know it yet, but this is not how it works. And I need the humility, the sensitivity in my prayer life to be able to accept from God, him simply saying, I know you don't know, but this is not how it works. This is not the path this is going to take. And, and you're not going to understand that path necessarily, but that's not how it works. That, that's not how I respond. That's not what I'm doing. You don't know that, but that's not what I'm doing God is still God that I can come to him boldly but still acknowledge that he is still God and he is still powerful and he is still sovereign even when all of my prayers don't get answered exactly the way I want them answered or when I want them answered the the filter of sincerity just the filter of humility God am I praying boldly but with with open hands to hear what you have to say and then thirdly the filter of persistence that I would just keep praying, that I would keep praying and keep praying, and that I would be faithful to pray. We talked about last week in thinking of this question, what do you want me to do? As God is asking us what what we want him to do in our lives, that we would find one or two things, and we would just pray them again and again. Not the only things we pray this year, but we would pray one or two things consistently again and again. And again, and I want to encourage you. There is, there is power, but more so, there is clarity when I pray the same thing again. And again, here's, here's what I, I know. I know that I can't always gauge my own sincerity. I don't know about you, but I cannot always gauge my own motivations. Over time, I may be able to figure them out, but I'm not always real good at determining where things are coming from in my heart. I'm not always real good at gauging my own humility. Right? We all think we're humble. Right? right? Nobody ever says, I'm just too proud. I'm just arrogant. I mean, nobody sees that in themselves. We all have a difficult time gauging our own levels of sincerity, engaging our lo- own levels of humility. But the one thing I can do is I can keep praying consistently. As God reveals more and more to me because I think that's what God does when I pray persistently, right? For, for me, in the continual praying, the persistent praying, God helps me find the right way to pray. Has this ever happened to you? As you prayed for something persistently, that your prayer started here, And you prayed boldly and you prayed confidently and and you asked God. And a couple months later, this prayer kind of shifts over here. Same situation, asking similar things, but but all of a sudden you started praying in a slightly different way. The more we pray, I'm convinced we give God the opportunity to shape the way we pray. There's nothing wrong with praying random, sporadic prayers. God hears all of our prayers. I'm not saying that. But one of the weaknesses of just randomly praying for something is I don't give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to shape the way I'm praying for that thing. Whereas if I'm praying consistently, if I'm praying daily for this same thing, God has a way of showing up and directing how I'm going to pray for that particular thing. Jesus does this in the story. I'm going to jump down to verse 21. When the ten heard about this, in other words, the rest of the disciples found out what James and John did. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They were not gracious the way Jesus was. Jesus called them together and said, Come on, let's admit it, a terrible ask. It's a terrible request. And Jesus is patient, and Jesus is gracious and says, look, I know you don't know. You you don't know. And so before the story ends, Jesus then redirects their mind and their heart to say, we function in a world where might makes right. People with power... Rule over people without power. They take advantage of people without power. We live in a world where the seat matters. The prestige matters. The power matters. But in Jesus' kingdom, in Jesus' kingdom, the really powerful are the people who serve. The really strong are the ones who show themselves to be weak, who bend low to care. For others, James and John ask about power, and Jesus graciously says, "Let me give you another way to think about this. Let, let me show you what you should aspire to. It's not the seat. it's to be a servant. Jesus does that for us. Several conversations I had after last week's message was along these lines. How do I know? How do I know?" How do I, this is what I want, but how do I know I should be praying for that? And in all of those conversations, at some point, I said to them, just keep praying, and God will help you know how to pray. Just keep praying. If this is the wrong thing you're asking for, God can reveal that, but just keep talking to him. Just keep telling him about it. And God has this wonderful way, as Jesus does in the story, to say, hey, think about it this way. Let's, let's reroute this way. Let's redirect to this position. We all use GPS, uh, right? None of us know how to get anywhere. Right? None of us. You can get home, maybe. We, if, you, if I told you to drive somewhere, in, even in this area, you wouldn't know how to get there, right? Because we, we depend on GPS. And, and if you're like me, even if you know where you're going, you punch it in because you want to know the fastest way to get there right now, right? Sunday at 11.45 could be different than Thursday at 9.30 in the morning. You want to know what's the best way right now. So we punch in addresses, and then we follow our GPS. What happens sometimes, as we're following along, our GPS changes the route, doesn't it? It says, either, well, there's a shorter way now, right? Or accident ahead, you need to get off and go around. Right? Our GPS has this way of rerouting us. When that happens, when, when my GPS speaks up in the middle of a long drive and says, Oh, we we're going that way, we need to go this way now. I don't say to my GPS, what are you doing? You can't tell me where to go. You're not my mama. I'll go the way I want to go. I do talk to my GPS, but I don't ever say that. My feeling when the GPS decides to reroute me is, whoo! thank goodness. There must be something up there I don't know about, and I don't want to get in the middle of it. What I know is, with all of the technology and the satellites... and the algorithm, and all the other people who have their GPS on. I know this computer voice that's talking to me knows something that's ahead that I don't know about. There's something coming up that's going to be a mess if I keep going towards it. There's something that's going to be problematic. If I keep going in the direction I'm going, my GPS knows you're going to be in trouble Let's go this way. Now, I'm always thankful when my GPS does that. I'm going to be honest. I'm not always thankful when God does that. Like, I'm going here, God. I'm supposed to be going this direction. And God knows. And if you keep going that direction, there is something up there you don't yet know about. I know about it. You don't know about it. So I'm trying to redirect you in a better path, in a better way. Trust me. I don't have any problem trusting my GPS. I just trust it. Sometimes I think we trust our GPS more than we trust God. Because we're thankful for the reroute on the GPS, but when God reroutes our plans... When God says, nope, I don't want you to go that way. I want you to go this way. I I know what I'm doing. This must not be from God. You ever tried that one? This must be, I know whether this is not from God. I know where I want to go. Instead of saying, all right, you see something I don't see. You know something I don't know. My perspective is limited, and I've been praying this, and I've been asking for this, and I've been moving towards this, but obviously you see something that I don't see. Thank you. Thank you, God, for rerouting me, having that humility to say, God, this is my ask. I'm not always sure if it's a good ask or a bad ask, God, but this is, this is my ask. This, this, this is what I want. But, but I'm humble enough to know that I don't see everything. And I don't know everything. And I will keep praying. And I will keep asking until you reroute me. And if you reroute me, I'm going to be grateful for that. I'm going to thank you for that. What? What do you want? Jesus says, ask. What do you want? Ask. What do you want? Ask but be humble enough to give him space to redirect if that's what he needs to do. God, we thank you. We thank you that like with James and John, you are gracious (laughs) when we pray really bad prayers. You're loving. You don't get mad at us. You, You don't belittle us. You just try to redirect us. And so in our prayer lives, God, help us to pray consistently, to pray, to pray, and then to have an ear to listen in case you're reshaping, in case you're moving. God, the hard thing Let's just say it from our perspective. The hard thing is, we don't always know what that thing was that caused you to redirect us. I wish we did. Sometimes we do. God, it's like it's like being in our car and the GPS redirects us, but we go so far around it we don't ever even see the accident that we were gonna be coming up on. We don't we don't ever see it. We just go around it. And sometimes in life we pray for things and And we don't get the answer that we wanted, and we don't know why. And we may never know why. But you can be trusted more more than our GPS. God, you can be trusted to guide us in this life, to help us to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. If you want to come pray, do that. If you want to bring a prayer request to the front, do that. During this song, I'm going to be down front. If you want somebody to pray with you this morning, I'll pray with you this morning. Let's stand.